Good morning, Camp Fatima. Uh, wakey, wakey, wakey. I'm realizing that I, uh, I, I went, I went overboard, and I have. Oh no. Woke up the baby. We woke up the baby. I, I woke up the, uh, sorry, we have Sean Meager in the apartment with us. That's who's crying right now. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Finley, I didn't mean to scare you. I'm sorry, sweetie. Um, we didn't scare you. Terry, we're, we're a team in this. We're messing up your child together. <laughs> another, uh, just to give you an idea of, um, of where we are recording from this evening. We, we're living in Clifton Park, New York, uh, just outside of Albany. When I say Fatima, when I'm recording this, I'm also alerting my parents' dog, who is named Fatima, <laughs> who is sitting about two inches from me. We're babysitting him this week. <laughs> uh, my wife is, my wife Courtney is over there with uh, our pre uh, Bernadette Jr. Finley. On the couch, uh, but the most important guest is, of course, uh, intermediate Hall of Famer Spencer Fredericks. Spence, <laughs> what's going on, buddy? I, I haven't uh, probably haven't seen you in about a year and a half. I want to say it was Thanksgiving time at uh, at Camp Fatima last I saw you. Yeah, yeah, and I think I just finished my first year of law school. Then that I think so. Oh right. no, yeah. maybe it was my second. I think it was my second. Yeah. So that would make sense. Yeah. A year and a half. So what is, uh, what's new with you career wise? Are you, are you lawyered up? Oh dude, I'm lawyered to the tippy top right now. <laughs> <laughs> I passed the bar here. Oh, and by the way, I'm here in Georgia, uh, Dublin, Georgia, two hours South of, uh, of Atlanta and about 50 years behind. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I passed the bar last July, uh, got a job as a public defender here in this, in the area that I'm in, uh, let's see, last November. Now I've been doing that since. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing real shit. <laughs> How did you end up uh, in Georgia? Oh, dude, when I, when I was applying for law schools, it was just one of those things where, you know, I, I applied to places in New York and I applied to places, uh, in in like Massachusetts, New Hampshire area, well, like border of New Hampshire or something like that, just to just to stay in that area, that friend group. But at the same time, I knew if I stayed around with people that I knew that weren't in law school, I was like, I'm not they're going to get me to go out every weekend. Right. And, <laughs> and then I, go by law school. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it one time and write. <laughs> I, so. I can't even get my mind around the, the level of commitment that it must take to become an attorney. I mean, my God. Or as you said, a fatomania, my God. <laughs> we'll get into that. We're going to get into that. I'm, I'm going to probably blow out the speakers when I do it, but we'll get into it. 
But but yeah, to, to finish up anyway, like so when I was applying to places other than that, I wanted to do Teach for America, which was like a different program. I really like you teach the kids in like impoverished areas and places like that with the lower test scores in the country. Uh, but I didn't I didn't make it into that. So I started applying to areas like that because I realized the rest of the state, it's not just like an education problem. It's also like a social justice problem, too. Right. If I can get, if I can get on my soapbox for a moment. Uh, <laughs> so who are so, the kind of people you represent? Uh, well, as a public defender, I represent people charged with a crime, uh, but they can't afford to hire their own lawyer. Mm-hmm. So uh, we and down here, our office, we represent about four counties. We have about like 2000 cases a year. And there's let's see, there's my boss, me, my supervisor slash she's the uh chief assistant, uh, this guy who works part-time through the office on a contract and this new girl who hasn't passed the bar yet. Uh, but, uh, we're waiting to see if she passes this July. So there's five of us <laughs> handling all that. That's uh, a, that's a, I, you hear all the time. If you watch, uh, shows on A and E or, uh, MSNBC when they take you inside right. prison and whatnot, uh, the burden on public defenders, it seems like it is tremendous. So how, how do you treat each of your clients with that uh, that same level of, of respect for each of their cases? Well, now, now I'm going to broadcast like another, another program. If anybody likes it, they should really look into it. Uh, there's a documentary about the program called uh, Gideon's Army. I, I suggest everybody look it up. I think it's on Netflix. It might be on HBO because that was who produced it. But anyway, I did this program called Gideon's Promise that teaches you know public defenders how to uh, deal with having such a strapped budget and huge caseload and everything like that and how to work within the limits of your system and trying to represent your client as best you can. And it's a pretty intense program. Even though I was interning, I worked at their two-week training camp they do for new people. And it's 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 intense, man. Not just like mentally, but emotionally. <laughs> like, <laughs> But, you know, it was a really good crew. And I realized the people in that group were kind of on the same wavelength of trying to just... Because the people that we represent, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not they're guilty or innocent, you know, and I, uh, cause honestly, I can't really tell who's guilty or innocent with a lot of these cases, just because like, there's so little work that's done, mm-hmm. but because they're so poor, you know, it's just kind of like a de facto thing where it's just like, Oh, they were in a high drug area. Well, that's where they live. Like their apartment is in that area. You're telling them like being in their area is wrong. So like all of us were on that kind of wavelength of, uh, how, how we felt the system was working. Um, so knowing I have a community around me that supports me like that, uh, helps that, you know, we're all kind of in the ship, but we're all, you know, trying to fight the good fight and to give each client like the best that you can is maintaining that kind of focus in looking at every case the same way that, that you can with the same kind of focus and trying to give each client like what they want. And sometimes that means telling them, that's something they don't want to hear, you know, and <laughs> I've been I've been fired like a couple of times since I started, which is, you know, no skin off my nose because like I, I get court appointed like <laughs> I'm not paid by the hour. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's kind of what you got to do sometimes. You just have to tell them, like, you know, the truth of the situation. You can't really pull any punches. And tell me, uh, if, tell that, me if this is I'm sorry, I did, didn't mean to cut you off there, Spencer. Um, 
it, tell me if this is too much of a, of a stretch. So the, the clients that you work with, you, you must try to go into communicating with them, not prejudging their situation. You want to bring them uh, the best form of justice that you can and lend an ear in a moment where they need it. Mm-hmm. Does any of the skill set yes. of being a counselor and dealing with perhaps <laughs> that troubled kid where maybe you have an inclination that they're in the wrong, that they were an instigator in a situation, but you find it within yourself to to bring them a level of fairness? Is there any connection in those in those two uh, career paths, so to speak? Well. <laughs> Funny you bring that up, Mr. Stackhouse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, dude, totally. Like there, there definitely is a connection there. Not, not so much with trying to figure out like who's in the wrong or something like that. Cause as, as a defense attorney, it's not, it doesn't matter whether or not they did the crime. That's something like people don't necessarily truly comprehend. Like they, they think a public defenders representing like those really poor people that, we're innocent and wrongly framed and, you know, and that happens that that happens more than you think. But there are also people that have done it. But, you know, they have extenuating circumstances like a mental illness or something like that. Uh, you know, they're they're more developmentally slow. I can't tell you the amount of clients that I have that are de- developmentally uh, disabled, you know, that they graduated from high schools down here with uh <sighs> I can't think of a better word for it because that's what they call it, like, you know, a, a special ed high school uh, degree, you know, yeah. like a disabled degree, as as they call it themselves. Um, so just realizing that kind of right off the bat, working special needs, week, you kind of can gauge where somebody's at. And at the same time, having worked with people with special needs, you know, yeah, they might be slower in some areas, but at the same time, I've been fooled more often than once <laughs> by by a special needs camper. Uh, just because like, you know, they, and this is going to sound bad, you know, given the context I'm putting it in, but you know, they can take advantage of somebody just, you know, praying into that, that kind of BS with them sometimes, you know, like to, to tell a story from way back when, uh, it was special needs week. I can't remember the guy. He, he was like, he wanted to be best friends with Brendan. You remember any, uh, Richie, Richie Spillane. Richie Spillane. Yes. Yes. <laughs> saw him, Richie. saw him last week. Love Richie. But as you were saying, continue on. Richie's great. But I was his counselor and it was my first year doing special needs week. And I'm bending down uh, to tie his shoes because he would ask me to do that every morning. He was like, Mr. Spencer, can you tie my shoes, please? And I was like, yeah, sure, absolutely. And then I did it. And then eventually Simone or Brandon or somebody saw me do that. And he was like, he can tie his own shoes. And I was like, what? And it was like the middle of the week, maybe Thursday. And I looked at him, I was like, Richie, can you really tie your own shoes? And then he just like picks his eyes up off the floor, gives me like a sideways smirk and just goes, gotcha. <laughs> And I was like, what? Like, I couldn't even get mad. But, you know, that's that's the kind of thing, you know, to relate it back to what we were talking about before. That's that's the kind of thing that sometimes with my clients, I can see how they can get mixed up in a situation like that because they can kind of sometimes fall in a situation where people think they're less culpable than they might be Hmm. um, uh, or that they they can't really catch on as much as they can. And they can to a degree. And sometimes it's just a victim of circumstance, you know. To be fair, like a lot of the campers that we get at Special Needs Week have a, su- a support system around them, right. you know, 
they, they got a family that comes and picks them up, uh, either a community center that they're a part of or some other kind of, you know, public program like that that's really good in the area uh, that, that helps them out. And my clients don't have that around here, you know. So that's, that's kind of a difference there. But knowing where they come from as a counselor on that front um, can, can really help dealing with them. And then as far as, like, the other clients that I have, you know, it's one of those things where I treat every client like I kind of would with every camper, you know, which is starting off with, like, look, we're starting off the same bet. You don't know me. I don't know you. Let's just try to get along. I'm going to be as upfront about everything as I can. You know, all I ask from you is to be honest with me because that's that's all I can I, I, I just need that in order to know what's going on. You know, if I don't have that, I can't help you. And just like with campers, you know, be the same thing of like, look, this is what I'm here to do. Like, we're here to have fun at the same time. Just be well behaved and like we won't have any problems. Just laying it down as simple as you can so that if somebody steps over the line later, you can be like, look, how simple did I make it? You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's there's an issue here. I'm not pushing. I'm not doing anything I didn't say I wasn't going to do from the beginning. <laughs> It's it's a pretty re- remarkable uh, life choice that you've made. Uh, how long do you think that you will uh, be down there, and it, is is this potentially a permanent home for you? Potentially, yeah. I mean, it's it's cheap as fuck down here. <laughs> <laughs> I I have a two bedroom, two bath apartment. Uh, that it's apartment, but it's a house that I'm yeah. paying five hundred bucks a month for. Oh man. Yeah, I pay like, more than a thousand for it's our living room is our bedroom and uh, our bedroom is the nursery slash where we have a big air mattress for when we need a break from the baby. <laughs> I still dude, I, I haven't mentioned it yet, but I really need to. It's so fucking crazy that you have you have a kid now. <laughs> it uh my my it's wife very regularly, and she's she's next to me hearing this, will regularly say, I, I can't believe it. This is so crazy. Incredulous that we are now in these circumstances. But I yeah. was there. I was present for the, the moment <laughs> of conception. I was there through all so. of the growing so pains great. in pregnancy, and I was it's damn sure there for delivery. <laughs> so I believe it. I, be, I believe it with uh, every every cry and every dirty diaper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so ridiculous. Just the older I get, the the more my friends are having kids now. Uh, it's just, I don't like it. <laughs> you know, that's how I felt too. Uh, my, my wife's friends more so were having uh, children right. and thinking, I, I, I'm just not ready for this. This will probably happen later in life. But then just all of a sudden you're in it and it's great. That's fantastic. No preparation necessary. I have no idea what I'm doing. You've been doing it for thousands of years, <laughs> possibly shorter than that, depending on what you believe in. Uh, so we kind of got the hang of it now. Yeah. <laughs> Making it up as we go along. We're doing all right. Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, oh. Spencer, let's uh, let's take let's take it back to uh, let's take it back to the Barnstead Gilmanton Ironworks uh, area. Um, tell me about, uh, how you heard about camp. Uh, my dad went there. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah. My dad went there, uh, back in, uh, the late fifties, early sixties. Wow. As a camper? He is, th- this is how far back he goes. 
Diesel, uh, Dave Coffey, was his counselor. Or his younger brother was his counselor. <laughs> Your dad is so old that Dave <laughs> Coffey was his counselor. I heard that and I was proud of it. <laughs> what's what's the line in What Hot American Summer? Jesus fucking Christ was my counselor. <laughs> During wreck time, we would throw around rocks because it was the prehistoric era. <laughs> Was your was your dad ever a staff member? Uh, he he got actually like he uh, he got the model model CIT. I think he he hung up his blue ribbon in the basement where we hung out as kids. So it, that blue ribbon and this plaque showing that he was a certified CIT from like Camp Fatima or whatever hung up just over like where me and my sister uh, would watch TV and you know, play with our toys and stuff. Wow. Just, I didn't know what it was until after I did my first year at camp, you know, and mind you, this is when my dad went to camp. They had the boxing ring, right? They had the boxing there. I've always and, been fascinated by that. Cause there's in the farmhouse, there is a photo of two skinny little kids with these big ass boxing gloves. And then a counselor who's instructing them. What does your dad remember about that? He he won his like weight class back then. <laughs> he had those ribbons up too. He had those ribbons up too. It was just like one or two years back when he was like 12, 13, you know. So does and this, we Does this boxing is it how I hope it was where kids would just wail on each other? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a counselor in the ring and a ref. But it kind of became one of those things. And part of me as a counselor kind of wished this came back because my dad would say, you know, two kids would get into a fight and they wouldn't stop after a while. And you'd be like, all right, settle in the ring. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's crazy. That's kind of what you need. Because afterwards he would say, like, you know, they would do it right before lunch. So then afterwards they could get an ice pack and eat a meal, to get, uh, eat a meal together. <laughs> Clearly th- those ribbons meant something to your dad. I mean, as, as campers and, and counselors, how many medals do we have from you? Know, so many of us just have bronze medals from like a canoe race that we weren't, oh. didn't even want to do in some drawer somewhere, but your dad had this prominently displayed. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it was just one of those things that it was after my first year at, at Camp Fatima and after Color Wars, I hadn't won anything because I was in the senior division, but I was 12. So I hadn't even hit puberty yet. So I wasn't <laughs> getting anybody <laughs> doing anything. And it infuriated me because I didn't know what anybody was talking about because everybody, everybody's pubes and shit were coming in. So that's <laughs> all I about. And I had no idea like you're what a, any of that meant. Your, <laughs> uh, your, your short and curlies hadn't sprouted yet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I asked questions, which is the worst thing you can do. It's the worst thing you can do as a camper in that kind of situation. As soon as you come off not knowing something about whatever, you're what? You don't know what car, you don't know like what the heart of diamonds is. Like what? What is that? What's the context of that? What does that even mean? So do you, do you remember any of these questions in particular? Oh, uh, let's see. Cause it was like my first year at a sleepaway camp in general, 
well, I've done sleepaway camps before, but like, you know, a week, a couple of days, you know, uh, but this was the first time I was going away for a month. My dad sent me away for a month the first time. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, it was right around the, the Bernie dances that all of that talk would start coming up. <laughs> and my, my cabin was like three cabins away from Club 15. You know, yeah, those were high schoolers and like the oldest kids in the camp. So obviously the coolest because <laughs> they would just hang out like on their on their steps at their at their cabins, just throwing out, just acting all cool. And obviously I would want to be a part of that. <laughs> and I sucked at tetherball. So that was the only thing I could do. Uh, you sucked at tetherball. Well, I was 12, dude. Oh, sucked at tetherball. What do you think I, I meant? thought you said you sucked a tetherball. tetherball like you like did this to like <laughs> like it was some like humiliation thing that like you performed for Club 15ers <laughs> to like you more. Oh, my God. Some horrible uh, hazing ritual did, like you're going to suck that tetherball. <laughs> you just have somebody just rip it off the, the pole and just walk it over to you while three other people hold you down. Uh it becomes the atomic setup. What's over? <laughs> I almost asked what an atomic setup was, <laughs> but now I rem- <laughs> but, but now I remember. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, but uh, but yeah. So like, I guess some of the questions would just be like dumb shit around the Bernie dances, just being like exactly what you're talking about. Like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into like a corner and like just finger finger my girlfriend because that was just. Like, what it was for the summer, you know? And then some other dudes would be like, dude, I'm going to wait till like the counselor's not looking and just go in there and we're going to bang, you know? And just hearing that from people. And I was like, and honestly, part of me when I heard bang was just thinking like, they're going to bang on the door. Like why? (laughs) I mean, that sounds cool, but like you could go outside and get some sticks. Like I was so fucking stupid. (laughs) Just so completely like naive, ignorant, just like just skipping through my Garden of Eden, you know, <laughs> like not knowing anything. I don't uh, remember uh, fellow campers using language that graphic. And seniors, though, I, maybe I wasn't hanging out with that uh, that crowd or I just wasn't alert to that kind of uh well, remember, I was hanging out at the Club 15 cabin. Right, yeah, yeah. So I'm not talking about, like, the 13-year-olds. I'm talking about, like, the fucking big old fucking jock guys. Dude, now, did they take you under their wing? Uh, Or were you just see. kind of, like, you know existing what? near them? and I made, I made pretty quick uh, friends with, I don't know how, but Sully, Matt Sullivan, uh, he was in my cabin my first year, my first my first session. Um, and we got along because he got my stupid sense of humor. Um, <laughs> so Sully was like my gateway into knowing everybody else because Sully's like, you know, fucking legendary there. Even even when, you know, uh, he was like a new senior. <laughs> right. Of course. So uh, uh, I, I just kind of hung around them. And it was just one of those things that I think Sully found it so fucking funny how little I know <laughs> about like the real world. Like I, I could make, I could make stupid jokes and say whatever. And what, but at the same time, I was just so woefully ignorant <laughs> of, uh, of just some of the etiquettes in the world. <laughs> Were you a camper every single summer thereafter? 
Yeah. So something Pretty just clicked that first year. You you felt at home? Yeah, it was uh it's it's great, man. Like you're just cut off from like the rest of society. The only way to actually get into contact with anybody is through the mail and packages. And I remember hearing that you could get care packages and I was like, "Holy shit. I can get candy sent to me?" <laughs> That prospect was very exciting to me, and it, maybe once per s- summer or set because I, I only went for a session as a camper. My parents would send me a couple things in the mail, which is very nice. Um, late, later on in my years as a camper, and this might still be a service, uh, they had the option of bunk notes where parents could <laughs> so like the concept is just so why even bother? The parents can send an email which they will then print out in the in the back office and fold fold over and staple and then you can open up this piece of computer paper and read an email that your mom rattled off in about 2 minutes. <laughs> I love I love the concept of that because they're they're just trying to skip the envelopes. Like they're <laughs> like we're going to save paper but like 50% of the paper. Uh <laughs> Not not all of the paper. We we couldn't just like memorize this, take a picture of it with our phone, and then go over to to them and read it. We're gonna print it off and staple it. What did uh, Spencer? What did you enjoy the most as a camper? Was there was there any activity that that really kept you coming back? Whether that be color wars or you particularly enjoyed the waterfront. What what did what did you enjoy the uh, most? Well, a lot of it was really fun, but at the same time, it's just one of those things where once you make a uh, good group of friends, um, it's just one of those things that brings you back, which is what I kind of realized my CIT year, because by the time you become a CIT, you've already made like your good group of friends at a camp. If you've been there for like, you know, even for me, you know, like four years, you know, mm-hmm. let alone, the, let alone, the, you know, people like your brother. Sean, yeah. <laughs> who I was the CIT for when he was a junior, who had been there for that long, you know. So uh, that's that's really what kind of brings you back. You know, the archery, you know, riflery, that stuff was pretty cool. The waterfront was great, especially on those hot days, you know, and uh, birdie dances can always be fun. But, but really, all that stuff, that's only like a small amount of time that you're actually there if you look at it in isolated events. You know, how often can you actually get to that riflery range? Even if you're there for all six weeks, that's what, 12 Bernie dances, you know, like out of how many days? But- I would love I would love to have somebody answer that question with just I loved riflery so much. I, I love <laughs> I love hold. I just love the feeling of that bow in my hand and not dry firing. <laughs> Firing a quiver was just so satisfying that it kept me coming back. I'm not allowed to be around guns normally, but here at camp, they're like a separate country. I looked up the ordinance, and so around here, it's fine for me to be around guns and kids. It's a a win. (laughs) So that's the situation where it would make sense. I I realized that I I misused uh, archery language. The quiver, if I'm not mistaken, is where... You, that's where the arrows are held. The arrow, I think, is only called the arrow. Yep. There's, there's the knock where you would put the arrow. Mm. And, um, and I'm twice certified, and that's, that's, that's all I got. 
Oh, jeez, bro. How, how are you ever going to get back into the division head game with that kind of lack of knowledge? I, I probably still have my certificate lying around somewhere. <laughs> I don't know if it's good anymore, but I used to contemplate putting that on a resume just as a yeah, maybe this will be a conversation starter that I'm a certified archery instructor. You know, you should do frame that and then also hang up your medals from camp over your daughter's crib. <laughs> I would be afraid that the medals would just fall down and that they would well, land on her and hurt her. <laughs> do you have like a concave wall? Like how would these how, how perpendicular to the wall? <laughs> She'll earn she will earn her her own medals in short time. <laughs> I love that. Already with the, we don't just get trophies for participating. <laughs> no sportsmanship in this house. It's a bullshit award. We're, we're thinking around age eight, maybe, if if that's when she's interested in it. Maybe we'll, we'll try Bernadette. We'll see. It's, it's more up to her than it is to us. That's probably the <laughs> earliest I will be comfortable with her going to camp. <laughs> yeah, it's really going to be more about you guys than her. But at the same time, you guys should take her like camping a few times when she gets old enough. See if she actually likes the outdoors and stuff. I'm sure she will with half your jeans in there. But. I mean, I don't love that's the thing that like I, I don't really like camping. I like camp and being at Camp Fatima. But to me, that that is not a true camping experience. Is it to you? Let me guess. Let me guess. You are a northerner, right? Yes. Oh, I hate, I hate for, uh, whatever you, that's the difference, bro. That's, town. The difference. <laughs> that's the difference. Cause honestly, civil war, that was one of the other things I really liked too during civil war, because back then we were camping down in teepee town, which I thought was dope. Cause we had a dope bonfire each night. Uh, back then when I was in, uh, seniors, we had that Australian dude that always wanted to play rugby. Um, he was a uh, team Zimbabwe, I think. I have no idea what dude you're talking about. No, you don't remember the Australian guy? An Australian guy. What year? Uh, so this would have been. So you're on staff at this point? No, 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 no. Oh, I was like, okay, okay. Yeah, I was, I was 12. So. Oh, oh, all right, okay. Yeah, 2000, 2001. Oh, maybe Travis. Yeah, maybe maybe something like that. Anyway, this this dude was like, he was he was pretty cool, but also you know with the accent and everything, everybody called him Crocodile Crocodile Dundee <laughs> or something yes, like that. And they built this huge bonfire, and at the he, they also built this zip line going from one of the trees in Teepee Town into the the bonfire. And dude, this thing was easily fifteen twenty feet high. You know, a zip line. No, no, the uh, the the bonfire itself. Oh, oh, okay. The zip line had to be higher than that because it had to go down. You know, like because they they put the kindling. He basically took a couple of like paper towel rolls, stuffed it full of a bunch of stuff, lit it, uh, did a bunch of lighter fluid, and then just lit it on fire to go into the fire, and it just like blew up right after that. It was all pine needles and stuff. So immediately, twelve year old pyromaniac me was just like, "That's awesome." And then he like slid down part way on the uh, zip line, which I think <laughs> yelled at him for later because he was like, "Are you fucking stupid?" 
I, I seem to remember him like, you know, Scotty went with it and that, but at the same time he like immediately went over to, to him to see if he was okay. And I swear I heard him go like, are you fucking crazy? <laughs> Don't you ever go down that fire zip line again. Are you fucking kidding me? You kidding me? We got kids here. <laughs> this is not what the South is about. Oh, man. So, yeah, dude, the, the, the sleeping outside, it. the soggy sleeping bags, the bugs, the no electricity, that was, no problem for you. You like that. You know what it is? My, my first year or two doing it when you're really naive, <laughs> it's great. You don't even notice you get the fat in the flu after that. You're just like, oh, I'm like uh, the, the indoors are so dirty. That's what it is. The outdoors, that's where it's at. Oh. <laughs> the the and first so and only year I was on South was 06 as a CIT, and that was that was enough for me. Yeah, that was <laughs> – I remember some CITs when I was a, a counselor after that just like so – upset when they got drafted to a team that wasn't what they were used to like all those years because because become staying on a certain team during civil wars feels like a birthright after a while it is yeah and then when that doesn't happen one year you i i remember being a counselor and i picked one of the kids for south and he cried the entire time After I announced his name and everyone else's and during the team meeting, like he refused to move for like two hours. I'm, I might be exaggerating, but he didn't move for a while. Like, I think we were about to go to dinner because, you know, you pick the teams and then go to dinner and sit with everybody. And I, I think he's like hadn't moved after that. And I was like, really? <laughs> I wonder I was, if there would be a way to do Civil War where the kids just choose where they want to go. Uh is it at all possible that the teams would be even? It's unlikely, but that would be interesting if the entire if everybody just decided where they wanted to go. So do it like a college expo with boots, with <laughs> boots there, and have just let the kids loose and see where they sign up. <laughs> I mean, if the teams are lopsided too, you do have the option of saying, well. You, you rotate players, you try and make sure that everybody gets in for a portion of the game, or some kids might opt to you just know, sit and watch the better kids play because they want to cheer on the North or whatever the circumstance you know, would be. Well, to break the, in my opinion, the Fatima curse of Civil War, because I've fallen prey to the rage that Civil War induces. It would be awesome if the kids could do it, and on top of that, they could sign up for teams in different divisions. So you could have a team with like two seniors, two juniors and like three intermediates. Like that's one coach's team. And then another team could be like however many different like divisions. So every team event has to be coordinated with all those different differences and everything like that. And the coaches have no say in it. (laughs) So so if you're playing like speedball, though, how do you get the juniors involved? Exactly. It's all about trying to figure that out with the juniors. Just like, oh, do you want to keep them as goalies? Probably not because, you know, that's going to be crazy for them. If you want to make them water boys, uh, that'll probably lose you sportsmanship. <laughs> you know, like it's an interesting <laughs> proposition. If if you made skits and that <laughs> kind of thing a bit more a part of it, it's possible. Yeah, it's it's the Fandango of ideas, honestly. So, Spencer, <laughs> you live in the South now. You you are oh, you yeah. are truly a southern boy, uh, yeah. and you are also I think with your own eyes witnessing 
the racial divide in this country more oh, yeah. and uh, the sensitivity that exists with that issue. That being said, do you think it's time that civil war is either scaled back or turned into revolutionary war or something without Confederate being something that 12 year olds identify with? Ooh, it's a good point. It's a good point. Cause you know, it's, you know, it's funny now that you bring that up the other day when I was at one of the courthouses that I, I go to in one of the outside counties and by outside County, the one I, I don't live in, you mm-hmm. know, cause we're in charge of four, four counties. Like I was telling you before. Um, and we were like, we came back from lunch and had like 45 minutes to kill, you know? Yeah. Uh, cause the judge let us out super early for lunch. So we were just sitting on one of the benches outside just talking. And I looked over and we were just talking about like how the country is kind of messed up at the moment. And I saw that right in front of the courthouse was the old Georgia flag and the Confederate flag. And on the old Georgia flag is the Confederate flag. Right. So both of those hanging up right there. And I was like, holy shit. And I've, I've gone to this courthouse. I, I don't know, like not every day, but, you know, a handful of times, you know, since I've started like six, seven months ago. And I never noticed that. And I noticed it today, that day and I brought it up. And my, my my boss or the chief assistant, you know, the person like second in command, mm-hmm. uh, she's she's so Republican and libertarian at the same time. Like she, you know, believes that the war on drugs is a sham and, you know, the, the military should be scaled back and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I was like, oh, man, that's kind of what's wrong with the country. You know, the fact that you can display those kind of things so openly at a government, you know, building like this, you know, a court. And she looked at that and she was like, no, that's that's about state. Right. That's about state's rights. <laughs> yeah, but it's not the state flag anymore. The state made that decision. Right. Yeah, that. Plus, I was talking about the Confederate flag, too. You know, yeah, right. and she, absolutely. Like we I wasn't even arguing about the state flags. I was like, oh, that's just wrong. Is it surprising <laughs> like, that, that somebody who works in justice would invoke states' rights. I mean, that, that's a term that carries a lot of racial baggage. States' rights is, right. when people say that, it's kind of a wink-wink for something else. Yeah, and it's just like at the same time with with the person who's second in command with me, like, she's not racist, like yeah. not in the least, you know? Like, I, we represent the same clients. Our clients, you know, are black, white, Hispanic, you know, I would say a little bit more black than the rest, you know, uh, and we represent everybody the same way. I've helped her out in cases with, you know, where, where our clients are black people and, you know, she treats everybody the same. Absolutely. So it's not even like a racist thing because I was arguing with her just going, you know, mind you, like there are pictures of me online wearing a Confederate flag bandana, you know, yeah. <laughs> like full war face going. <laughs> and uh, we were just talking about it and she was just going on and on about states' rights. And I remember a couple of counselors. Um, sorry, I'm making a drink. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like you, uh, you looking through old Fatima medals? Are you trying to find? Uh... Yeah, that's the that's the PC thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, um, sorry, yeah, go ahead, you know, oh, yeah. Sorry. But uh, just talking to her, it was just one of those things where, you know, she was just adamant that it was about states' rights. And I kept bringing up. I was like, yeah, it's about the states' rights to own slaves. Uh, <laughs> it's not just that concept in general. Like that was the motivating factor. And she was just like, no, that wasn't that wasn't the main thing. 
You know, it was about the spirit of it. And the mentality down here is really more when they talk about that. I honestly think some of them honestly believe like, no, it's not a symbol of racist of slavery. It's a symbol of us saying like no to the federal government. Because that's the vibe I got off her. And it was kind of like an eye opening moment where I was like, huh. So, yeah. This is something that they honestly believe in. Right. Honestly, it, it is, you know? it is uh, interesting that there can be such differing viewpoints on that issue. Uh, in, in my line of work, it comes up multiple times a year where you will have a story of a kid who wants a Confederate flag uh, behind him in his yearbook photo or something like that, and it turns it, oh, they call the news station, and these situations play out very frequently uh, or um, a high school that has a native American mascot and local indigenous people would like them to change it. They refuse. Somebody calls the news, Th- this kind of thing. Uh, and it, it, it is always interesting to me just to see how entrenched people are on both sides. And it's just one of those things that my feelings on it are a bit different than others. Cause as I've learned in like constitutional law and stuff. The problem I had with the Confederate flag being up was that it was a government bill. That was a problem I had. I don't have a problem. And this is going back to Cam Fatima. I don't have a problem with a private individual, a citizen, somebody like that wanting to, uh, you know, display a flag such as that, the Nazi flag, whatever. You want to do that? Fine. But for our government to do that is pretty fucked up and shows kind of where we're at in certain parts of our country. Because that was where the real problems were coming up when that was when that big scandal broke out, was the fact that um, the, the Confederate flag became a hot-button issue because government buildings like North Carolina and stuff not only had a Confederate, you know— uh, memorial there at the state capitol, which isn't wrong in and of itself, but it had a Confederate flag, you know, hanging at the separate building, which is where the governor and the legislator and everybody works, like just having that hanging out right there. The problem with that is exactly because it's the government endorsing what the Civil War was really fought over, not states' rights by itself, states' rights to keep slaves. And that's the issue I have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're you're not alone uh, in in that perspective, um, Spencer. I uh, I should have told you this earlier. With these with these newer podcasts, I'm aiming to do these sort of within the area of a half hour, so I can try and do oh, more, okay. and then and dedicate a little more time to uh, to uh, baby Finn Finn, who um, I can uh, hear just a few steps away from me, but. Uh, not to, to rush things too much towards the end, but we, we haven't touched on your time as a counselor. Um, talk uh, to me a little bit about that. Who were your boys? And uh, I will say you, you were just the embodiment of intermediates that um, <laughs> uh, that uh, just embracing that goofiness that is associated with intermediates with just like a reckless abandon. And and I loved that about you. Why did you like that? Well, thank you, man. Uh, well, what's funny is when I started as a CIT, I was in juniors and that worked out well. And then when I came back as a counselor, when I was 17 and 18, I stayed in juniors and that was with Sean, uh, Henneberry or head and, uh, Charles Haler, you know, they were there with Chris Simon and everybody. Um, 
And then after that, I took off four years for college because I was like, oh, I'm going to get a college job. It's going to pay better. I'm going to stay home, sleep in a bed, which was stupid. So then when I when I came back those years, it was just one of those things. One, I was happy Drummy gave me a job. Me and uh, Steve Atwood, or Snake, as everybody called, my, the first year I came back. <laughs> um, and I think I got drafted just by Russ Warnock. You know, people were asking me what division you want to be in, what division you want to be in. And I was like, well, I can honestly see myself being in, like, you know, juniors or or intermediates or seniors. Like, I could do it in any of those divisions, I said, because I think I was a counselor for one uh, – like, I covered for somebody in seniors for, like, a session or – or so because uh, they were sick or something. Um, so I could do it, but at the same time, seniors to me just are so conceited. <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're just so full of themselves. They think they're so cool. Like we don't we don't fucking have to do shit, man. Like we're just gonna fucking hang out on the radio. Like can we just have radio? Yeah, we just have radio. I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> so like that really annoyed me because it's just one of those things where it was just like, well, when I was that age, that wasn't how I was. So I can't really relate with them. I know like, some days when it gets really freaking hot. Just, yeah, obviously, like, let's sit in the shade. fucking playing Fandango. Like, and that's my second Fandango burn. Um, and <laughs> so when Russ like drafted me the intermediates, I figured like, oh, this can work because it's like to me, it's the perfect balance between like they're not too young like juniors where you got to deal with some other issues that you wouldn't normally want to deal with like bathroom issues and severe homesickness at that time can be really prevalent and and other things like that just uh because they have the intermediates have the benefit of being like seniors in that they can get your sense of humor like they can get sarcasm they can get you know uh like ride jokes and stuff like that so you get more of a banter with them but at the same time they're not as conceited as seniors you know because they're here to actually have fun and they're like oh yeah we're 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 gonna play a game of soccer for an hour and we're going at it it's an interesting age group too because some would make the case that when you're in seniors and you are 14 maybe 15 is kind of when you're finding out who you are and the kind of personality you're taking on that might be reflected in the rest of your life, I think that that takes place more in ages 11 and 12. I think from that point, when you're in seniors, I think that's who you're probably going to be for the rest of your life. Um, so it's a more, to me, it's a more pivotal moment um, in a kid's life when they're in, in, and to have a counselor who keeps it light, keeps it goofy, keeps it fun, not taking things too seriously is, is really important. Well, that, that was like kind of my approach with it because I didn't have to deal – like if there was any bullying in my cabin, I pulled them apart because like I was a bullied a bit as a camper and in you know school and stuff too. So I could see when it was happening. I know what it was like. And I just pull them aside and try and stop that. You know, and that, those were the moments when I got the most serious was when like a kid got hurt or you know uh, there was bullying or something like that, which happened a few times. Those were the times where I was like yelling. You know, which would be memorable to anybody who heard it. <laughs> um, but otherwise, I, we keep it light. Like the way it worked out for intermediates for lunch, for example, we we would always be, you know, right in the middle. And depending on how long the juniors were taking or whatever uh, and whether uh, how long the juniors were taking the setup and everything, we would have time to burn, you know, because under uh, 
they would they would line up pretty quickly sometimes because there wasn't a lot of kids, so we had a lot of time to burn. We would do silly face contests, just something I made up like right on the spot, of just you know like okay, uh, we're gonna bring up random kids and they're gonna try and make me break. Uh, into a laugh by making silly faces for like 30 seconds. And then I'm going to try and make them laugh by making silly faces for like 30 seconds and going back. <laughs> and that's what we did. That's, that's what we did to burn time. Cause for a while we like Russ was uh, Russ Warnock was trying to uh, figure out other games to play. I can't remember what some of them was. And then one day I was just like, how about a silly face contest? And he was like, yes, I like that. What is it? <laughs> Your your energy was pretty unmatched at that point as well. I thought. Yeah, I, I was um, I was happy to be at, back at camp. I think that was a, I had just graduated uh, college and I didn't know what the hell I was doing with my life. So <laughs> I was like, let me go back to camp and figure out what I wanted to do. And that, it was after that it kind of set me on this track of doing what I'm doing now, which was like, oh, I really like working with kids. So I worked with kids and low-income areas and in low-income schools. And I was like, wow, they're having a lot of problems. So I tried working on the nonprofit side, and I saw how related that was to the legislator, just with laws and stuff that need to be passed. And then after those two events, I was like, oh, let me go into the law, and maybe I can help out people on that side. You know, It was yeah. just one of those things that kind of snowballed into something else. Spencer, uh, you you are uh, on my Mount Rushmore for all time intermediate <laughs> counselors. Uh, you're, I just think you're the man. Uh, one of the funniest guys that uh, has come through Camp Road. Um, uh, I'm glad I got to do this podcast with you. Um, baby's crying, so I, sh- I should wrap it up uh, momentarily. But before we go, is there anything else that you want to talk about? Uh, just. Guys, don't take Civil War so seriously like I did. I was in Canteen the other night, and they're all, it's, I mean, it's, it just, it's like Christmas season. It gets earlier and earlier every year. And that's the problem. Like, and people stir shit. And it just, oh my God. I, I made some serious mistakes. I'm talking about Craig Cooley and, and, and the syrup, but, uh, that, that was some stupid shit. And it was just getting so heated because there's so much history behind everything that you do there yeah. uh, with that team because you get tied to it after a while. And it's like Red Sox-Yankees, man. Like, that's what it should really – if we're going to change it to something, make it Red Sox-Yankees, you know? But that wouldn't really work because there, then the Manhattan kids would get shitty. Uh, <laughs> I think there are – and may, maybe the reason that you do it doesn't necessarily have to be I, – I don't know. I'm, spe- uh, I'm speaking out of turn here. I'm not a decision maker at that camp. I right. I lean on the side of thinking maybe it's time to switch up the theme. Uh, Revolutionary War to me would be an interesting area to pursue. Nobody is going to get offended if you have a T-shirt that says Redcoats or something like that. There's no sensitivity yeah. about that war. You know, or lobsters or lobster backs or whatever. Right. Yeah, I could I could see that. Honestly, I think if anything, it would be better. For the camp's PR to right. change it, rather rather than some kind of deep rooted political uh, correctness, you know, fight the good fight kind of philosophy in my, my eye. Right, and we have talked about this on other podcasts, but my concern is a kid will go home with a T-shirt that says Confederate, 
I mean, it's yeah. from my understanding, they're not going home with uh, Confederate flags anymore. But even just a shirt like that, and some parent becomes offended and decides mm-hmm. to alert the local newspaper or local TV station, that is the kind of thing that in the blink of an eye does get picked up nationally. And even just yeah. thinking about like um, Google optimized search results, you don't want that to be the first thing that comes up when you search camp in Google. Yeah, that's 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 a good point because like I still have some of my camp shirts, man, and I totally wore my camp shirts to high school. Yeah, and and school and stuff. Like, dude, I had so many camp shirts that one day my high school had a theme like Twin Day, like dress up like your twin. So I gave out my T-shirts to like all the people in my class, pretty much, and that like twenty people wore them. That's how many <laughs> T-shirts I had from Color Wars, saying like that's Air cool. Force, South Rules. You know, like uh, like gargoyles, like some some shit like that. You know, a bootleg Iron Man symbol. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that's the thing. Like, you have such fond memories at camp. Of course, you're going to wear that stuff. And depending on how young you are, you know, uh, you're not even really going to understand the relevance. You know, and right. for some for some parents, when they just send their kid there and they hear about you know Civil War and stuff or whatever, they just think you know it is what it is. Color wars, you know, mm-hmm. oh, they're going to split the competition. Yeah. But then to come back with some of that kind of regalia, especially in this time, you know, when it's such a, I don't know, it's just. We're definitely not, not the only camp in the country that does civil war. I can guarantee oh, you. Oh, no. Not, I, I, you're absolutely right there. I've yeah. seen it around where I live now. <laughs> uh, but it's not that I, I'm not saying the camp has a, doesn't have a right to to do this. They absolutely do. They they have a right to do it. The fact that it's church related, you know, maybe that should cause some concern there, biblically. But uh, otherwise, you know, from a legal standpoint or whatever, you know, to put that hat back on, uh, they absolutely have a right to do that. But it's just ethically, you know. Sure. Do they something that, to think about? Yeah, something to think about where, yeah, there's tradition and everything like that, but you can keep it going. You can still say we've done this ever since day one, splitting up the camp in two only for one session, right. you know? Yeah. And we've done, like, the wars, you know? Right. Even like, the military we, tradition, the marching, the flags, that kind of thing. Yeah, we, we can still do that and still have it be fun and everything, have the, have the same kind of stuff. Hell, it'd probably be better because, at the in my opinion, it'd be like a reset for a lot of the counselors and for a lot of the, the the baggage that comes with Civil War. Because yeah, you can still advertise it as you know this big great thing, this tradition, but at the same time, it's it's going to be different. You can mix it up, you know. Yeah. Well, Spencer, you, you ready? Headed in good nights and taps. Let's do some. All right. You want to join me on this uh, exhale here? All right. Hopefully we don't wake her up again. Well, Camp Fatima, it's been another great day. We caught up with the greatest greatest intermediate division head that never was, Spencer Fredericks. Learned about some very interesting parallels between uh, working in the justice system and being a camp counselor. Uh, Spencer, thanks so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you for having me, man. Who would you like to say goodnight to? Ooh, uh, my girlfriend, who <laughs> we're going to go get McDonald's and then shop for cartons. And everybody working at camp this summer, uh, everybody who I've worked with past my Club 15, my CIT year, 
anybody's listening who gives a shit. Uh, STD, uh, the name is literally what it stands for. Um, yeah, and everybody listening. Thanks for having me. Spencer, uh, it's been great. Where the sun is hot and the trees are shady. Good night, Camp Fatima. And so good night to Our Lady.